We're going to Isaiah chapter 51 this morning. We're continuing our Advent series. Uh, we've been in for the month of December. This will be our last Sunday uh, in Advent, and then we'll wrap it all up with the Christmas Eve service. Isaiah 51, page 824. As you are turning there, uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who had authority, who had power, and they, they, they actually had that authority or power? It wasn't perceived authority and power, but they, they had that. They could do something to you if they wanted to or for you if they wanted to. Have you ever been in someone's presence like that? If you are, there's a way to respond usually. Right? There, there's usually a way that you respond in the presence of someone who has power and who has authority, particularly when they're showing that. Um, there was a time where I did not show the right uh, respect or response to someone in power and authority. This would have been last December. Um, in the military, you know there's a rank structure. And uh, the higher the rank, the more respect you're supposed to get, right? And there's certain customs and courtesies that, that go with certain ranks. So you know that if you become a general, Right, you got a star, and certainly if you have three stars being four stars being one of the, the higher rankings, and five kind of just a unique one, but four stars as a full general, three stars is a pretty big deal. Well, at Tinker Air Force Base, the highest ranking individual is a three star general. He oversees part of the, the air logistics uh, uh, unit there at, at Tinker. And uh, when he's in the building, just like when there's any commander in the building, but particularly when the general is in your building, you're supposed to call the building to attention. And, and if the general walks up to you, you are supposed to stand at attention until he puts you at ease. Well, it was a, a lowly attendant day at Tinker and I was there helping to fill in and I had just come back into the chapel building from doing a prayer somewhere at some event or, or, or maybe I was at some party, I don't remember, but I was coming back in and I noticed there was a cap. See, this is the other thing that they do for you. Protocol's really helpful to you. When you walk into a building, if there's a ranking member in there that you need to be aware of, they leave their cap in the front of the building, in the foyer or somewhere where you can see the stars. Well, I sat right down next to this cap, which happened to be upside down, okay? And I was chit-chatting with someone else in the chapel. It was just two of us that day. And uh, uh, around the hall comes this gentleman, and I couldn't, you know, these stars are small. I couldn't see them from a distance. And it wasn't until he was, like, for me to, to hear, maybe even closer, I realized who it was. I was still sitting down. I got up, and it's too late to go to attention. I'm already in his presence, so I said, hey, sir. <laughs> I stuck my hand out. I'm just a reservist. You know, that's, that's the kind of times you fall back on that. But I just carried on conversation. I, I knew I was not in a good, a good place when he says, did you guys know I was in the building? And I said, well, no, sir. We did not know you were in the building, as he grabbed his hat sitting right next to me. Now, that was a time where I was in the presence of someone who had power and authority, and I did not respond appropriately. I, I knew what I should have done, and I clearly knew after the fact that this could be a problem, so I alerted my superiors who were on vacation for that day. Hey, you just need a heads up. Three star was in the building. We did not call the room to attention. I stuck my hand out and said, hey, sir. <laughs> Which is respectful still, just not the appropriate response for a general. There are appropriate ways to respond when you find yourself in the presence or in the, in the power of someone who has authority. This morning, that's what we're looking at. What does it look like to respond in the presence of God when God shows his power? And as we are concluding our Advent series, we're gonna talk about joy this morning because one of the appropriate responses 
to, to God showing up in power is joy. And so here's where we're going this morning. When we see the Lord act in power, when we, when we see it, not just know about it, but when we see it, when we experience it, we respond with joy in his presence. So Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 51 there, we're gonna start out by looking at the first two verses, nine and 10, and we're gonna see this. We need the Lord to act on our behalf. We need him to act on our behalf. So look with me at Isaiah, nine, uh, Isaiah 51 verses nine and 10. He says this, wake up, wake up. Clothe yourself with strength, O arm of the Lord. Wake up as in former times, as in antiquity. Now pause there for a moment. Have you ever been in a, in a spot where you knew you needed the Lord to act on your behalf? It, it was a circumstance, it was a situation that you knew, I need him to show up now. Or you knew, I need him to provide for me because right now I can't provide for myself or I'm not being able to make ends meet. I need him to act on my behalf. Or maybe you found yourself in some other situation where you knew, I need the Lord and I need him to act. You ever been there? That's, that's where these people in Isaiah are at this point as they are crying out to God. They've, they've learned that they will be brought into exile. They will be brought into slavery once again because of their rebellion against their God. They know that they are gonna be brought under the control, under the, the reign of a foreign nation who worships foreign gods. And yet they're, they're crying out to the Lord for him to wake up. And that's not in a disrespectful way. That's in a way, hey, Lord, show up. That's, that's Lord, act on our behalf. That's, that's what they're calling for him to do. Wake up. And they're specifically saying, clothe yourself with strength, O arm of the Lord. Now, we know that the Lord is spirit. And so unless he visibly manifests himself in a physical form, which he does at times, absolutely, we know that when the authors are, the writers are using things like your arm, what he's talking about is military strength, particularly your right hand. Because in a culture that, that, that the Isaiah is writing in, the right hand was the dominant one. Now, you had a few lefties, but most people were right-handed. And to wield your right hand was to act in military power and show military strength. And so the people are calling on God. We want you to fight on our behalf. We need you to fight on our behalf. They're calling the Lord to come and act. And do you see what they do there? Wake up as in former times, as in antiquity. They're gonna start thinking back on past times where God has acted on their behalf. And they're saying, we remember you did this before. We're gonna look specifically at that in a minute, but we're asking you to do it again. And I just pause for a moment before we look at what they're calling God to do. Have you ever prayed prayers asking God to act in powerful, miraculous, wonderful ways? as you recall that he's done that in the past, maybe in your own life, maybe as you recall some of the scriptures that you might be familiar with and you're going, well, you did it here, God, can you do it now? Have you ever prayed prayers like that? You should, and you should often. You should ask God to show up and show his power and show his glory. And when you're asking, you're asking for him to do it for his namesake, for his glory. You don't ask for him to do that so that you would receive glory. You ask that he would do it on, on your behalf for his glory. This, this past week I was at the hospital visiting uh, one, of our, one of our members here who had some, uh, some twins. And um, by the way, just, just PSA here, if you're in the hospital, you're likely not gonna get a visit from the pastoral staff unless you invite us, or if we ask you and you say yes. 
okay? Because one of the things we want to be careful to do in most situations is we're going to hang back and give you your space, and we're going to make sure that that's respected, and if you want us and if we can be helpful, then we're going to be there. So please don't be offended. If you have found yourself in the hospital and, you know, we were supposed to just find out and we didn't show up, Oftentimes, we're trying to respect your space and your privacy, and then if you want us there, you'll either reach out to us or someone else will, or we'll check in with you and say, would you be up for a visit? And then feel free to tell us no, if you're not. We, we're perfectly okay with that. But I was over there this week, and I was visiting this, this, um, this member of our congregation. She has two babies there in NICU at this point, and uh, her mother was there. And so part of the, the reason I was there, they asked me to come meet the babies, but also to pray for their babies. And so as we're visiting and we're getting all the details about what's going on and, and then it's time to pray, one of the things the mom said, and I love this, because one of the babies was having a, an issue with bleeding and they, they couldn't figure it out. It was just, it was just there and they, they had scanned, they couldn't find it. And the mom said to the daughter, you remember the time that the woman had a bleeding issue and she reached down and she grabbed the hem of Jesus' robe and the bleeding stopped? Guess what we did when we prayed? We prayed along those lines. Lord, you've done this before. You know bleeding issues. You know how to stop bleeding issues that no one else can stop. You know how to, to, to find the source because you already know it. We prayed according to what God has done in the past and we asked him to do it again. And he did. He did. Yeah. So that's what they're doing. They're saying, God, we're asking you to show up, wake up, and act on our behalf. Show your military strength against our oppressors in a way that you've done before. And they're gonna go into now what God has done before and it's gonna require a little explanation. Did you not smash the proud one? Did you not wound the sea monster? Did you not dry up the sea, the waters of the great deep? Did you, make, did you not make a path through the depths of the sea so those delivered from bondage could cross over? Yes, there's sea monsters in the Bible. That's the first thing I heard this morning from, from one of the kids is there's sea monsters in the Bible? Yeah, yeah there are. Yep. Um, here's the other thing you need to know. Did you not smash the proud one? Most of your translations say Rahab. The New Living Translation says Egypt. The Net Translation says proud one. It's literally Rahab. Okay? What the, the Net Translation and the New Living Translation are doing by translating it in different ways is trying to help you understand what it's referring to. But you need to know a little more than that. Because if you see the name Rahab in your translation, you're going, the only Rahab I know is the one who hid the spies with Joshua, and why would the Lord smash her? It's not her, it's not her. And so you need to understand something as we read things that seem a little weird. In fact, if something seems weird in the Bible, it's probably important. So when it talks about Rahab, and it talks about the sea monster, and it talks about drying up the sea, and it talks about the waters of the great deep, it's actually referring to all the same thing. You see, the Bible was written, all the books of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, were written in a context, in a culture. And that context and that culture is not ours. The Bible was written at a time before modern science. The people who wrote the Bible did not have an understanding of modern science as we do today. And they did not write with that understanding. They wrote in the context that surrounded them. They were familiar with the worldviews of other nations around them. And at times they even bought into those worldviews. They understood the worldview around them. They had spent years in Egypt, 400 some odd years. Many generations would have been exposed to Egyptian uh, belief systems and worldview. When they got into the land, they're surrounded by all kinds of nations who don't worship the Lord. And one of the things you need to know is that in all of those other nations, there was an understanding that gods 
lived on mountains and below the waters because people couldn't climb to mountains like we do today. And they couldn't go under the waters like we do today for scuba diving and things like that. So the places that humanity could not go is where the gods must live. And so there was also this idea that there was a chaos monster, a sea monster. Almost every ancient Near Eastern culture that you would read about in the Bible, think about Mesopotamia, think Babylonians, think Assyrians, think Ugarit, think um, Egypt, think anything that you would read in the Bible, you're going, these are hard names to say. Those people, all of them had some form or version of a chaos monster that lived in the sea or that was the sea. And their patron god, Whoever they worshiped as their primary God was the one who overcame that chaos monster to bring about order. Okay, that was their worldview, right? And so if something then were to go wrong, say a natural disaster, the chaos monster, the sea, was winning against their God. And there was a constant battle. So one of the ones you'd be most familiar with is Baal from the Old, from the Old Testament. Baal was a patron God of many of the people. When things would go well for the people, Baal was controlling that in their worldview and their understanding. And when things were not going well, Baal must be getting conquered by the sea monster, the chaos monster. Okay, so the idea here is Isaiah is writing fully knowing that that's what everyone around them believes. Now, if you were to look in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 7, specifically there, chaos or Rahab is connected to Egypt. And so there's two things going on here. One, Isaiah is taking this imagery of chaos and forces that oppose God. Okay, that the other nations might interpret as the sea, as Rahab, Leviathan, a dragon. Okay, these are all things you'll see show up in the Bible that have meaning in the culture around them. And when Isaiah says them, he says them with great purpose because he says, aren't you the one who smashed Rahab? Aren't you the one who wounded the sea monster? Aren't you the one who dried up the great sea? See, all of those statements is Isaiah saying, Yahweh, the one true Lord, is the one who overcame chaos. The one that overcame all of these things. And there's no continuing battle with chaos. God is the one who overcomes all of the forces that oppose him. That's the point here. Now, we're going to get more into this in the new year as we start preaching through the, the, uh, the Bible reading plan. So hold on to that if you're interested in that. But that's why that is what it is. And so pr proud one is just helping us to understand as we read through it. Egypt is helping us to understand what it's directly referring to. Egypt represents a force that opposes God. And so when, when translations do this, it's helpful for us as we read. It's helpful for us as we read to go, oh, okay, I know there's a proud one opposing God. Or, oh, Egypt opposes God. Rahab, we don't know what to do with. But if you want to study and you should do both. You should read your Bible and you should study your Bible. If you want to study your Bible, you need to dig into Rahab. And you could find this if you have a good up-to-date study Bible, it's going to mention this. If you have a good up-to-date commentary, it's going to mention this. All right, some of you have already Googled this because you read this ahead of time and you're going, sea monster in the Bible? And you came across a whole bunch of stuff. Let me know if you need help weeding through some of that. All right, but that's what's going on here. The Lord, haven't you overcome these things before? Did you not make a path through the depths of the sea? You know what he's recalling, right? When God brought his people Israel out of Egypt and he split the Red Sea. Do you realize when God split the Red Sea, what that would communicate to all the other nations who believed that sea was, was the, the sea monster, the chaos monster? That sea was disorder. That sea had power, and yet this God of Israel just split it in half while his people walked by on dry ground. The Lord, the true God, is more powerful than any other God 
than any other spiritual force or physical force. He overcomes all forces that oppose him. And we need God to act on our behalf and to overcome those forces on our behalf. We go on, and when God does that, when God acts on our behalf and he overcomes things that oppose us, things that we, are, we have no control over, we respond with joy. And here's what they, they say in verse 11. Those whom the Lord have ransomed will return. They will enter Zion with a happy shout. Unending joy will crown them. Happiness and joy will overwhelm them. Grief and suffering will disappear. When God shows up and God acts on our behalf in ways that we are unable to do on our own, when God overcomes the forces that oppose us, when God shows up in power, the response, a response that we should have, joy. Joy. And you see, he says, the ransom, those that God sets free, those who God brings out of exile, who brings out, he brings them out of slavery, those who he acts on their behalf and they experience the freedom that comes when God acts on their behalf, their response is unending joy. Joy will overwhelm them. If you have experienced God acting on your behalf, showing up in ways that you would never be able to do, then you likely experience joy. And if you didn't, I want to encourage you this morning to go back and revisit that. Because some of you this morning, maybe you're in a situation and you're going, there's certainly no joy right now. What kind of prayers are you praying? Are you asking God, show up? And listen, sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't in the way that we want. But are you praying those prayers? He wants us to. He wants us to ask him to, to act on our behalf in ways that are miraculous and ways that are wonderful and ways that no one can explain except by God alone. We are his children if we are in Christ. And he tells us to come to, us, to, come to him like a father, like a loving father. One who can approach their father and say, Dad, I need this. Not one who's afraid to approach their father because he might say no or he might ridicule me. No, you come to him as a loving father. God, I need this. And then you also know as a loving father, if you don't get it, depending on your circumstances, maybe he knows better than what you're asking for or maybe he has different purposes behind that. Are you praying those kinds of prayers, asking God to show himself as bigger, greater than whatever it is you find yourself in? You give life, you are love, you bring light, to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken and great are you lord it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only you give life you are love you bring light to the darkness you give hope Every heart that is broken, great 
those words in this moment are true for us. God, we want you to have all the glory in what you've done, what you continue to do. And God, we want to see you continue to do it. Joy is not found in just gathering regularly and not seeing anything change and not seeing anything happen. But instead, God, we experience joy when we, we are in your presence and we see your presence show up in power. And God, we want to see that. And we don't want to settle for just gathering regularly with nothing changing. So God, do the work in us that needs to change. Humble us where there's pride that won't let us trust you, that won't let us pray prayers of asking you to show up in ways that defy the natural. And God, I pray that you would, when you show up and when you do things like what you have been so gracious to do for, for camera and Cadence and their family, God, when you do things like that, let your love and your compassion and your mercy be made known. Let people be drawn to you and be asking questions about how can God love so greatly? And then God, open the door for people to hear about your love being shown through Christ. How you, God, did not stay in heaven distant from your creation who rebelled against you, but instead you came and entered into creation, becoming part of creation so that you might live among us and redeem us from enslavement to sin and all these forces that oppose you. And like you did for your people where you overcame the sea and you, you parted the waters that they might walk on dry land, God, you've done that for us in Christ. You've overcome the power of sin. You've overcome death when he rose from the dead so that God, when we trust in him, we receive life. And we are called your children. God, do that work in our hearts and stir up our affections for Christ and, and, and lead us, God, in, in the way that we live our lives to reflect that. 
that what we just sang might be true, that the breath that is in our lungs is used to pour out praise to you. God, all these things, this morning we're asking for your glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Guys, we'll see you next week.